At this time, we turn to the proclamation of God's Word once again. I've had the privilege of introducing many guest pastors um, in my time, and uh, some of them have even been children of our own congregation. I've never had the opportunity to introduce my son as our guest uh, preacher, but I will do that now. Uh, let's welcome Ben Verhulst, who's going to bring us God's Word. Thank you. It is good to worship with you this morning. Later today, uh, before we have dinner, uh, my family is going to go around the table and everybody's going to say something that they are thankful for. Uh, so I'm going to try to get that out of the way now, if that's okay. Um, I am thankful for the way that this church uh, invested in me uh, and taught me and befriended me. And I'm thankful for the way that this church supports uh, City Reform Church, uh, where I met my wife, uh, where my sons were baptized, uh, where I attend. And I, uh, I want to offer you an encouragement as well. Um, investing time and energy, even when you don't see the fruit immediately, um, God uses your efforts. I was actually at a council retreat for Geneva Christian Reformed Church in Madison, and um, who's there but James Jenninga, right? Another son of this congregation. Uh, two of us at a, a church that neither of us grew up in. So um, I just want to encourage you that your, God is using your efforts, and I hope that is an encouragement. Let's turn together to uh, God's Word, uh, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. It's on page 1832 in your pew Bibles. And so, from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you have called us here. You have given us uh, every reason to be thankful uh, we ask now that you will open your word to us, uh, speak into our hearts and into our lives, uh, that we may know you better and understand better uh, how we can live for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In 1977, the Bee Gees released their hit song, Stayin' Alive. Some of you may remember that song. I'm seeing some smiles. The first line of that song goes like this. You can tell by the way that I use my walk, I'm a woman's man, no time to talk. I'm not sure what that walk looks like exactly, but I'm pretty sure it involves disco. Uh, and it's true that you can tell something about somebody by the way that they walk. Someone who walks with their head down, kind of like this, kind of quickly, you can tell that they're not very secure right? They're, they're uncomfortable. Uh, 
Someone who walks around confidently, good strides and with their chest out, right? You can tell that they are more confident, feeling good. What Paul says in this text here is that Christians have a distinctive walk too. The NIV, the NIV translates it, um, live our lives in a manner uh, that pleases God, but, but the ESV translates it very literally. What Paul says is walk in a way, walk in a manner. And that's, that's what Paul is getting at here, the, the walk that Christians have. It's a distinctive walk. So we'll get to the meat of that walk in a minute, but first I want to make a few introductory notes about this text. First, Paul is writing to a Colossian church that is actually very healthy, right? Uh, he starts his letters, uh, most of his letters, with a thanksgiving section. And in that thanksgiving section, uh, for the Colossians, he writes this, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. What a great thanksgiving, right? Paul has been hearing of the Colossians' faith and their love and their hope. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be thankful for. We may contrast that maybe with the, uh, the Thanksgiving section in 1 Corinthians. There, Paul is writing to a church that struggles a little bit with, with pride, with spiritual pride. And Paul there writes, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Paul is very subtly reminding them that he's not thankful for them so much as for God's grace, what God is doing in them, right? What they have, God has given to them. And that's what Paul's getting at a little bit there. It's a little bit humbling. Or we could look at Galatians, where Paul um, maybe skips it or turns the Thanksgiving section on its head. And he writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Eesh. Right? That's, a, that's not a Thanksgiving section at all. In Colossians, therefore, Paul's message here is not to those who are living in, in visible sin or who've never heard the gospel before. He's writing to a healthy church, a church that he wants to encourage, a healthy church a lot like Brookfield. Second, what Paul says here is that we should be walking in a manner that is worthy of our Lord right, and pleasing to Him. It's important here that we see it's the manner of the walk that is important to Paul, not the path that we are on. Um, Paul really couldn't care less about where that walk is going. In Roman society, um, there was a hierarchy. Freed people owned everything, and most people in that society were slaves which was a broad swath of society from teachers to merchants to laborers. And it was better to be a free person than to be a slave. Better to be a man than a woman. Better to be an orator than a bricklayer. Better to be a farmer than to work in the mines. 
We don't have that kind of hierarchical system anymore, but we do have a system that has some similarities to that. We call it your calling. Uh, in our minds, sometimes we think you can't, you can't please God until you've found your calling in life, right? And it just so happens that your calling is something that you enjoy and compensates you very well. And when you've found your calling, that's when you can glorify God. But those who haven't yet found that sweet spot for one reason or another, you won't be able to please God, right? That's, that's the, the myth, often unspoken, that we can sometimes buy into. And Paul is completely uninterested in that way of thinking. Are you a man, a woman, rich, poor? You can walk in a manner that pleases God. Do you walk to a white-collar job? Do you walk to a blue-collar job? Do you work at home? Whether you work at the gas station or the White House, you can walk in a manner that is worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing that Paul is saying here is about changing your financial situation or your station in life. He is talking about living in your current situation in a way that glorifies God. This is a text that's for all of us. Finally, uh, Paul's use of language, the language he uses here, uh, gives us a deeper context for what he's saying. Paul prays that the Colossians will be filled with the Spirit. That's language that appears a couple other times in Scripture. In Exodus 31, Bezalel was filled with with the Spirit, to create the tabernacle and its furnishings, right? He's one of these artisans that God sets aside and God fills with His Spirit and says, Moses, use Him. Similarly, in 1 Kings 7, Hiram was filled to create the temple and its furnishings. God sent this artisan Hiram and said, Solomon, use him to create the temple. Here, Paul is praying that Christians are filled to live their lives. What does that mean? It means this, the lives of the saints, full of good works, are the furniture that fills God's temple. Let me say that again. The lives of the saints, our lives, full of good works, are the furniture that fills God's temple. So, let's talk about what that life looks like? What does the Christian walk look like? Well, Paul uses four adverbial participles, okay? Adverbial participles are ways that, uh, characteristics of the walk, okay? Um, This is the way we walk. And uh, good sermons only have three points, I know, so it's good that the first two uh, components go so closely together. Bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit and increasing. This is actually uh, going back all the way to Genesis, right? Where God says, be fruitful and multiply. Here, Paul uses that same language. Bearing fruit and increasing. This is the way that Christians can live out God's mandate. This is the fruitfulness that God asks of us, that we bear the fruit of good works. 
And knowledge of God and fruitfulness go together. Earlier uh, in Colossians 1, Paul talks about the word of the truth, that's the gospel, is bearing fruit and increasing. It's actually the gospel itself in our lives and in the Colossians' lives that is bearing fruit. Okay? The gospel erupts into fruit. The more we understand the gospel, the deeper we understand the gospel, the more fruit is produced in our lives. In Hosea 4, um, the opposite is true. God um, brings this charge against Israel. He says, um, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. Um, Lack of knowledge of God means lack of fruit, and the knowledge of God means fruitfulness. These things are intimately tied together. In Paul's view, there are only ever two problems in the Christian life. Either we don't understand the gospel, or we're not aware of how to respond to the gospel. There's no third category. Uh, Jesus made the same claim in Luke 7. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which, were me- which are many, are forgiven, right? He's talking about this sin- sinful woman. And he says, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. What's he talking about? Forgiveness, right? One of those virtues that you've talked about here in this series. And he's saying, because she was forgiven, because she understood the gospel, fruit, the fruit of forgiveness and love, was produced in her. The one who understands God's salvation wants to respond appropriately. We've created some other categories. We might think some people understand the gospel and know how to respond, but they're just not very committed. Or some people understand, but they just disagree. And that's just not how Paul understands these these categories. It's a journey. We continue growing in these two areas. We we are always growing into a richer understanding of the gospel, and we can always find better applications of the gospel in our lives. All right, so let's look at that third uh, characteristic then, being strengthened. This is a passive verb, okay? Passive means that the actor is somebody else than us, right? Being strengthened. We are strengthened by God. It's not our strength that is showing through. It's God's strength. So, what kind of strength is this? Uh, You'll have to bear with me a minute because I'm going to contrast it with something, okay? Um, We could preach probably an entire sermon series on bad worldviews from the internet, um, but I'm just going to pick one. Uh, There's a there's an understanding of relationships on, uh, in the online world that is probably too common in the real world as well um, called the red pill, okay? Uh, the red pill movement believes uh, that the unsettling truth in the world is that relationships are purely business transactions, okay? It's a vicious relationship between the sexes. Um, Everyone is categorized in terms of their, quote, sexual market value. It's an extremely um, toxic uh, movement and, and worldview, but I just I want to talk about one component of it, 
and it's what they call dread, okay? Um, they say, essentially, women are only, this is largely a, a male-dominated uh, movement, it says women are only looking out for themselves, so men should be too. And because women are looking for stability and a provider, men need to keep them on their toes, okay? By keeping one foot out of the relationship, men keep women in a state of dread that he's going he's gonna to leave, he's going to walk out on her. And this makes her more agreeable. As manipulative as that is, dread is something that we use all the time to motivate people. Um, I mean, a fairly innocuous version of this, uh, how many of you uh, did a little panic cleaning before family is coming over today for Thanksgiving? Right? That's, that's not uncommon. That's okay. Workplaces also use this, right? Um, publicly chastising people who've made mistakes. Sports teams, it's kind of the norm. Uh, recent reports out of Ukraine uh, talk about Russian soldiers being told that if they retreat, they will be shot by the soldiers behind them, right? They are, they are being forced to fight using this same tactic, this same dread. It's, it's very easy for us to see how strength comes from fear. But fear is not all it's cracked up to be. People get tired of the dread. It's not a very long-lasting motivator. At some point, your spouse is going to decide they want to be with someone who actually loves them. Right? Your employees are going to burn out and move on. And it turns out that threatened soldiers with guns turn on their officers and then surrender. But too often, we think of God in the same way that he's just waiting for some mistake or doctrinal error, and then he's going to cut us off. Instead of being strengthened by dread, Paul wants us to be strengthened by God's glorious might. What is that? Well, he talks a little bit about it in the Thanksgiving section of Ephesians. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills in all. I could preach a whole sermon on that text as well, but I just want to point out two things, okay? God's glorious might is Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And the second thing is Christ was given to us, to the church, to be our head so that we can be, uh, we can, what Paul says, be the fullness of the one who fills. Paul doesn't want us to be strengthened by dread. He wants us to be strengthened by knowing that God has given us Christ and all his work. 
God doesn't have one foot out of this relationship. He isn't waiting for us to screw up so He can break up with us. Look at the cross to see how committed Christ is to you. We can be motivated, we can be strengthened by our desire to please God and to thank Him for what He has done. This is from our Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 86. Since then we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own. Why should we do good works? This is the answer. Because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, is also restoring us by His Spirit into His image, so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for His benefits, so that He may be praised through us, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and so that by our godly living our neighbors may be won over to Christ. How do we experience this strengthening? How do we experience the strengthening that Paul is talking about? Well, we have to understand how much God loves us. Going back to Ephesians, Paul says that God has lavished His grace on us. In Psalm 18, the psalmist says that God rescued us because He delights in us. And in Jude, uh, Jude talks about how Christ is eager to present us before the presence of God with great joy, extreme joy. Brothers and sisters, these are the kinds of words that God uses to demonstrate His love for us. Lavished, delight, extreme joy. If you understand that, that is where our strength can, can come from. So finally, we get to the giving thanks. This is, again, the way that we walk. This isn't so much about um, saying thanks for particular things, though that's good too. But this is ongoing. This is a characteristic of the way that we walk through life. Walking thankfully is the title of the sermon, and that's really what Paul is getting at here. So there are three things, I think, about walking thankfully. First, we have to know what we're thankful for. That's what Paul was just reminding us about, God's abundant love for us revealed in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Second, we need to understand that it's a sure thing. Uh, Since I'm using song examples, I'm going to go out on a limb here and use uh, a song that I heard in high school, uh, Dashboard Confessional. Does anyone remember Dashboard Confessional? I've seen a lot of blank faces. All right. They sing a song about a rich young man who spends a few years living uh, kind of a middle-class student life. He has a trust fund. He went to Cambridge. Uh, but he's slumming it a little bit, right? And this song is really calling him out, okay? Um, The the singer is somebody who has to earn his way in life and, and says this, for us, it's a matter of charging the gates. For you, it's a matter of blood and connection, What's that singer saying? He's saying, we have to prove something. We have to make our own way, and you don't. It goes on to say this, 
you've got a hard way about you for someone whose passage is already paid. Many of our friends, co-workers, neighbors are living this life. They have to make their own way in the world, right? They are struggling to prove to themselves and to others um, what they deserve. That's not us. Our passage is already paid. Why do we sometimes still have such a hard way about us? Because we don't believe in our hearts that we have already been given all of this, right? Everything that God promises us is already sealed to us. It's already waiting for us. Our trust fund is overflowing. And the third thing that we need is to respond to the giver. Uh, Chariots of Fire is a film about the 1924 Olympics. And it, it really focuses on two runners in that Olympics. Uh, two British runners. Harold Abrahams um, is, is the first runner. And he is, prior to his big race, right, he's telling his friend, he's talking to his friend, he says, I've never known contentment. He says, I'm, in, I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what I am chasing. He says, he's talking about running that race, that he has been training for and spending all of his time waiting for. And he says this, I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide, with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. He's counting on that race to tell him that he is worth something, to tell him that he is good enough. The other runner in that movie is Eric Liddell. He's a Scottish Christian. And, uh, and in real life and in the movie, uh, kind of the main thing that people know about him is that he refused to run on Sundays. He was a professional runner who missed his most import, important race because he refused to run on Sundays. That's something that you can only do if you know already that you've been given everything and you have nothing left to earn. And he talks about running this way. He says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. He's not running to justify himself. He's not running to earn something. He is running because he delights in God and he feels God's pleasure when he runs. When he ran, it was a response to what God has done for him. And that's the way our catechism talks about it too. It says, all things come to us not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. In our walks, in our walks through life, we need to be like that leper in Luke 17 who pauses after he's healed just to thank God and praise him for what he has done. So when we look at our walks, at these characteristics, what does our walk say about us? When people look at us, do they see us trying to justify our existence? Or uh, are we 
forever pursuing a goal uh, that we can't even define? Or do they see us resting in God's pleasure? Do we have a hard way about us? Or is it clear from the way that you walk that you are already beloved by God? Your passage is already paid. Nothing is going to separate you from your Father's abundant grace that He lavishes on you. Do you live in dread that God is looking for an excuse to abandon you? Are you terrified of making a misstep? Or do you live in a way that displays confidence in God's love for you and an eagerness to please Him? All of us can walk more thankfully. We need to remind ourselves that God's abundant love is already ours, that His love is committed to the end, and that we rise with Christ into God's delight. And that's what we're about. We're going to take a few minutes now uh, to reflect and uh, spend some time committing our lives to this thankfulness. Uh, You will see uh, some verses about thankfulness on the screen that you can use in your reflection. Thank you. Take, oh, take me as I am. Summon out what I shall be. Set your seal upon my heart and live in me. Take, oh, take me as I am. shall be.